Let's pray. Lord, speak to us now as we grapple with the realities of relationships that sometimes don't work the way we want them to or hope they will, as we think about what restoration and forgiveness and reconciliation looks like. Give us um, open minds and open hearts to hear from you and to learn to walk in the way of love. Uh, and we ask this in your name. Amen. I don't know how many of you read the Australian newspaper. You don't have to confess now. Um, I was reading it yesterday, and there's an article in the Australian uh, by a woman, and this is her story. Husband and wife, married for 20 years, goes through COVID. Husband decides uh, a couple of years ago that he, he wants a bit of supplemental income, so he's going to start trading shares uh, online. I don't know if any of you have read this little piece in the Australian. So he starts trading just on the side, a little bit of a side hustle to earn a bit of extra income. And, uh, and then COVID unfolds and he's working from home and he's trading away and he's doing his job and she's doing his job and they're raising their kids and it's full on, but they're doing okay. And, uh, and everything's good until she sees some bills uh, credit card bills that have massive negative balances on them. And she gets up one night, she can't sleep, she's a bit worried about what's going on, and she, she thinks everything's okay because they've got their house and they're doing okay. And she, at three o'clock in the morning, she wakes up and she goes to have a look, and she goes into her husband's briefcase and opens up the briefcase and discovers a folder with just credit card bills, looks at, and then there's a bank statement and a mortgage that's been doubled and drawn down. And then she goes onto his phone and uh, she uh, opens his phone and starts going through his email and stuff and just discovers uh, that in fact what he's done is he has uh, lost uh, almost all their money. Uh, I think she, in, the, in the article it said she had, they probably had like $600,000 of equity in the house and you know, when she woke him up at 3.30 in the morning and he started crying and confessed uh, and they stayed awake all night and added up all the sums and he was probably in the whole $300,000. Um, so anyway, they made a plan to repay it and worked it all out and they figured out what they were going to do and had a plan and it all seemed great until six months later she discovered that he'd lost the remainder and uh, and so she booted him out, and he's living with his mum, and they're trying to save the house, and uh, that's how it ends. Here's the question. Should she forgive him? Should she take him back? What would it look like? What would you do if you were her? What would you do if you were him? How would you make it work? Public service announcement. Gambling addiction is a terrible thing. Terrible, terrible. Online share trading, uh, Bitcoin, CFDs, EFTs, I don't know what Ts. It's gambling, okay? It's gambling. And uh, you can do it institutionally with supervision, but when you're doing it at home, it's, there's this epidemic. So if you or someone you know is struggling with gambling addiction and you can't stop, get help. 
So that's an aside. Come and talk to me. There's no shame. It's a, it's a massive addiction, and unaddressed will destroy your life. We have seen it in person. This is a story. It will destroy your life and those of everyone you love around you. End of public service announcement. Back to the, the story in the Australian. Put yourself in her shoes. What would you do? What should he expect? What would you do? She has a teenage daughter. What should the teenage daughter's attitude to her mum and dad be? Now you add a layer and you go, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus and he says we should forgive 70 times 7, she's only forgiven twice. What should she do? Should she forgive? Maybe she comes to church. Maybe she's sitting here. The article was anonymous. If you wrote that article in the Australian, come talk to me afterwards. But what, what advice would we give her as a church? Okay. Five points that I'm going to make from this passage. It's up behind us, the whole passage. It's not dissimilar to that situation. And so um, the Bible is not a it's not a rule book in the sense of I follow these rules and it I have to always do this, but it's it tells us a story. Uh, and shows us how, particularly in the New Testament, how people who are followers of Jesus, um, full of the Holy Spirit of Jesus, grapple with the complexities of life. So in a somewhat analogous situation, the Apostle Paul has had a broken relationship with one with the Corinthian church, and as part of that, there's at least one member of this church that he had started, with whom he was very connected. There's one member who had uh, attacked him, uh, shamed him, insulted him, lied about him, or in verse 1, what we see, caused grief. He has caused grief. And um, the grief is not just Paul's grief, right? That, look at what he says in verse 5. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Here's the thing about broken relationships and about sin. It, it's never just between two people, is it? Like in that story in The Australian, it's, it's her and him and their kids and the in-laws and the friends and the grandparents and everybody else that is caught up and affected and grieved. That's the way it is. Um, there was a great meme doing the rounds, having a crack at various things, but it was, um, it was a bunch of, it was a cruise ship, and uh, the meme was, you know, passenger in cabin 320 decides to dig a hole in the floor because it's his choice and freedom how he acts. <laughs> Point being, our con actions have consequences for everyone in our web of relationships. You dig a hole in your cabin through to the ocean, you sink the whole ship. You have a gambling addiction. It's not just husband and wife. It's everybody in that whole network who gets affected. In Corinth, in Corinth this guy insulted, abused, uh, fractured his relationship with Paul, probably tried to turn the whole church against him, brought shame on the whole church as a result. And Paul's going, yeah, it's not just me. It's all of us who are grieved by this. Okay, so I was going to give you five points. Um, it's a five-point sermon. You get extra today. 
five points to make. One, um, like pain. The problem with sin, and, and in our culture we don't like talking about sin, so we'll, let's call it something else. Let's call it brokenness. Let's call it acting out of our dysfunctional past or trauma, whatever it is. problem is it really, really hurts. It really hurts. And that pain is widespread, and that pain can absolutely consume us. If you have been deeply wounded and hurt, it can consume us and, and fester in our hearts and cloud how we see everything. I don't know. I don't know if, you've, if you have any of those memories. Um, I, I have a few. Like she can't, like even just, I was, that was unexpected. Like 30, 40 years on, when I think of uh, what has been done to me and those I love, it actually, just like that, well, the, the pain is still there. Um, and here's the thing about forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiving someone won't necessarily take away the pain and the grief. <laughs> It, it can start to set you free, but don't think for a moment that going through some cathartic emotional experience where I now say, I've forgiven this person, will release you from the grief. I wish it would. I've had those cathartic experiences, and I've discovered that, uh, that there's a level of freedom that I would have thought previously unimaginable, but I've not found freedom from all pain. Uh, that just won't happen this side of heaven. Okay, so uh, get your expectations right. There is no simple, easy path in relationships to eradicate pain. By the way, if you're exploring Christianity as well, here's the other thing that I want to say, and this is maybe disappointing to you. Uh, becoming a follower of Jesus, having a cathartic religious experience in a community like this, uh, because you're in a relational crisis, which is how many of us come to church. So there have been, over the, over the years of my ministry, numbers of people come to church because their marriage is breaking down, they've lost someone close to them, they're in a state of crisis. Now God will help you, and God can put your marriage back together again, and God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten, but you can't come to God and do a deal with him that if I follow you, you'll take away the pain and everything will be great. <laughs> It just doesn't work like that. Come to God. He'll set you free. He will heal you. He will restore the years that the locust has eaten. He will give you a new path and a destiny and a hope and a future. But I think it's going to hurt until the day you die, depending on the depth of the pain. And that's just life. My hunch is that was the way of Jesus. You know, when we see Jesus at the end of the book of Revelation, the vision of Jesus uh, ascended in the new creation, he is pictured as the lamb that was slain. That is, Jesus still carries the scars of his earthly life and suffering and rejection and broken relationship into the new creation. He is scarred. So if that lady who wrote that article and that story in The Australian was here, I'd say, along with the Apostle Paul, uh, that her husband's sin has caused her grief and everyone around her and that is unfortunately 
something that she will probably live with until the day she dies, and that is life. Okay. Just thought I'd get that out the way. I didn't expect it to be that heavy. This is the problem with communication, right? You never kind of know how it's going to land. Like even in my own heart, I had no idea it would land there. Man, let's just go and have a coffee. Okay, let's find some hope. So what does he do? Um, well, pain, <laughs> isn't this good? I mean, there's punishment, right? There's punishment for the guy. Um, look what Paul says. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. So, aside, what's interesting in this text, we don't know the offender's name, we don't really know what he's done, and we're not exactly sure about his punishment. I think that's great, because Paul's not gossiping. He's not publicly shaming this person. He's not for 2,000 years writing his sin up and saying, this is who he is. This is not a public circular published. This is, this is not an... This is not an ICAC accusation you know, publicized in the newspapers before there's been due process. This is just everything's, it's, it's good that it's, he's protecting, even in the way he writes, he's protecting the dignity uh, of the offender. That said, the dude's been punished. What do we think the punishment was? We're, pretty sh- we're, we're reasonably sure the punishment was some form of exclusion from the community a withholding of relationship, okay? That's analogous to the punishment that in the story, in the Australian, this woman inflicted on her husband. She withdrew relationships and said, no, it's enough. Get out of the house, remove any access to our joint funds, and uh, go live with your mum. That's a punishment, depending on what his mother's like. (laughs) (laughs) so um, evil can and should and must be punished someone has to pay the price right Uh, the question is um, what's the what's the heart or the motive behind the punishment. Okay, what's the motive or the heart? That's the question. Okay, so when you're really hurt by someone and you punish someone, what, what's one of the things that can drive you? Well, it, it can actually be to crush them, to kill them, to make them pay, can't it? I mean, we, we've all seen that in the world, this cycle of revenge. You hurt me, so I will crush you. I don't know if... Um, this is showing my age. Um, I, do you remember many years ago, I, Paul Keating in Parliament saying that uh, he was a good hater? I don't know if you recall, I think it was in Parliament or an interview. And he was just saying in politics, in Labour politics, I suspect in Liberal politics, you set out and he set out. And it's, it's so common to crush your enemies and those who've double-crossed you and those who've let you down. 
you, you don't, there's no, you, you, you just want to make them pay. Um, we can do that. It's a very childlike thing. If a little kid gets hurt, they lash out to hurt the person who's hurt them. Now, one of the things that distinguishes us from three-year-olds is we can restrain that impulse, but it's there. The heart that Paul says we should have here is, look at this, um, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. It's, well, so sufficient for what? Okay, it's not limitless. You're not, they're not, we're going to crush him. So by the way, exclusion from the local community then would have been extremely painful. It was, a, 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 you know, living in Corinth, becoming a follower of Jesus, it probably meant being isolated from all his existing economic and social supports. And he joined this tight church that provided a sense of family, of safety, of community, uh, was a social safety net. And, and so being excluded was painful and difficult and left him isolated and vulnerable. And Paul says it was sufficient. Sufficient for what? Sufficient to bring him to a place where he would see what he'd done and how wrong it was and would repent and long to come back into relationship. That's what it was sufficient for. So the point of punishment, it's, it's limited, it's necessary, and the goal... The goal is justice, and the goal is uh, restoration. See, he says, um, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Man, when someone lets you down, when someone hurts you uh, and, and deeply wounds you, the goal is not to kill them. Metaphorically, or literally, <laughs> particularly literally. <laughs> but the goal is not to, not to overwhelm them and destroy them and crush them, even though in our pain we can sometimes want to do that. The place of Jesus following is to say, I'm going to inflict pain on you and punishment on you in order that you will wake up to yourself in order that you will understand that you can't keep doing what you've doing, you're doing because it's destroying those you love. When the wife who wrote the story in the Australian boots her husband out, she is saying, no more, you must, inf you must experience the pain of consequences of being separated from your wife and your kids and living with your mum until you wake up to yourself and you get help and you deal with your addiction. Because what she confessed in that little story, she said, I can't turn my love for my husband off. She still loves him. She doesn't know what the future will hold. But you read that and you go, she's longing for restoration. She actually wants her family to be intact again. But that's not going to happen until he's been punished. And the, pun the goal of the punishment is not to kill him or crush him. The goal of the punishment in Corinth was not to overwhelm this man with excessive sorrow, but rather to restore him to relationship and fellowship. Right? Um. How do you do that? Well, notice what he says. You've got to do, you've got to, you've got to do three things to somebody who you've inflicted punishment on. Well, you don't have to. This is what Paul says. 
Forgive. Now, instead of continuing to punish and kill the guy, forgive and comfort him. Ah, uh, uh, gee whiz, how the heck, what the heck? Are you kidding me? I can't, what does that even look like? Well, if you go back to the first talk in the series and you look at chapter 1, the, the heart of Paul's gospel message to the Corinthians is we worship the, the God of all comfort and that we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received. So Paul is saying this, you've got to forgive the guy. And so, so then the question, of course, is what's forgiveness? What's forgiveness? Is forgiveness just denial? Is forgiveness a cathartic emotional experience where you release them to the universe and then have nothing more to do with them? What is it? Well, simply put, forgiveness is not holding the past against someone. Like, just really, it's not holding, it's canceling the debt they owe you, saying, well, I know you've You've sinned against me. You've hurt me. You've wounded me. You've done terrible things. I will not hold the past against you, but I will be open to a relationship with you going forward of some sort. That's forgiveness, right? Cancel the debt. You, you've behaved terribly, oh person of Corinth. You've, you've shamed the whole community. You've insulted Paul. You've caused much grief and pain. Uh, we've excluded you. But now Paul says, do not hold that against him. Instead, forgive him, cancel the debt. And, and seek to comfort him with the comfort you yourselves have received. So what's the comfort that they receive? That we're forgiven ourselves. That God doesn't hold our past against us. That we are loved. That with God, the best is yet to come that there is always hope, that God is the God of new beginnings, that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, that absolutely nothing can, can fatally and finally and permanently destroy you if you turn and follow Jesus. So help that person know that comfort, the comfort that says there's always hope and you can be embraced and loved again no matter what you've done. Ah, oh. <laughs> it's not forgiving and forgetting. I mean, that's impossible. You'll never forget. But to forgive and comfort. That's a tough one. How do you? It's hard. So, but it's, it gets worse. <laughs> Doesn't it? No, it gets worse. Further, look what Paul goes on to say. Verse 8 I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. So, you've got to forgive the turkey, you've got to comfort him, then you've got to love him. Um, everyone, I think C.S. Lewis said this. If he didn't, he should have. It sounds like the sort of C.S. Lewis quote that people would put up, put up on memes and things. Everyone loves the idea of forgiveness, 
until they have to forgive someone. Or the other way is everyone loves the idea of forgiveness until they have something to forgive. I love the idea of forgiveness, don't we? We love that as a church. We love the idea of love as well. And our culture, we love the idea of love and inclusion and until you actually have to be the one showing it to someone else. I like the fact that you forgive me and you love me. But to reaffirm your love, like that is hard and messy and difficult. And what does that even look like? I, people sometimes think, I don't know if you've ever heard this, uh, Christianity is a crutch for the weak. Like if you're, if you're weak and you need help to get through life, then you turn to Jesus. Because it's so easy to follow Jesus, isn't it? And I go, hmm, I don't think so. The only way you can think it's easy to follow Jesus is if, is if you're not really following Jesus. Like if you're, just, if you're just using Jesus to baptize your secular 21st century worldview, and, and when Jesus asks you to do radical things, you just don't do them. Because, well, that can't, really can't apply to me. Like this is hard. Let me tell you, you go to a, ther- you go to a humanistic therapist who can do lots of wonderful good. You go to a psychologist and, and, and a counselor, and they might do lots of wonderful stuff, and you talk to them about the pain and the misery that has been inflicted on you by some broken person. Um, and, and there are very few therapists, unless they're crazy Christian therapists, who will say to you, you need to, you need to forgive the person who committed evil against you. You need to then comfort them so that they can be restored in a relationship, and you need to love them. You need to seek their good. You need to seek their flourishing. You can't, you see, at most of our advice, and maybe I'm just projecting what the advice I've received or what I see, most of what you see is get rid of this person, separate yourself from them, have nothing more to do with them. Have nothing more to do with them. What is, um, and, and, and that's understandable. And that's easy. The way of Jesus is, is far more difficult and challenging. It's forgive, comfort, love. And there's like a lifetime of working out what loving an evil person looks like. So forgiveness is cancelling the debt. It doesn't mean you lend them more money, Right? Like for the woman in the Australian, in the story, uh, forgiveness is cancelling the debt. Okay, I'm not going to, I'm be open, but I'm, I'm not going to get back together with you until you've actually worked out your addiction. Restoration requires repentance. It requires such a deep change of heart that your behavior changes. There's a great story in your small groups. You, you're going to look at that this week. In Luke 19, Jesus tells the story of... Um, uh, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he was a head of the tax collection agency, and he was a very rich man, and he had a profound encounter with Jesus. Jesus in- invited him to his home, loved him, cared for him, fed him, forgave him. And as a result of, feed- of receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, what did he do? 
Well, he went back and he made restitution. He paid back four times over uh, any money that he'd stolen from uh, the people he was collecting taxes for. Okay, so that's so forgiveness. If it really connects with you, love and, and love brings you to a point you're open to a relationship, but the other person for sure has to make restitution, has to change before you'll lend them any more money, before you'll make yourself vulnerable again, for sure. But, but you have to be open to that. Fifth point, you probably know what the point is. It just feels too hard at times, doesn't it? <laughs> it's too hard to even know what to do with that. Um, and, and look, God knows that, right? And this is what Paul says in verse 9. Another reason I wrote to you, and I gave you this, these outrageous things to think about, was to see if you would do it. <laughs> Stand the test and be obedient in everything. He knew it's hard. Back then it was hard. Today it's hard. Here's the question. Is this kind of deep longing for community, for restoration, for love, for healing, for freedom, is this uh, an optional extra? No. It's about obedience to Jesus. Now, if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I don't, I've got this relationship or this person in the past, and I don't know what to do. How do, I, how do I live this out? I don't even know. Mark, are you telling me I should go back to my... You know, husband who beats me, uh, no, no. I, but, but in your heart of hearts, as you follow Jesus, you have to be, you have to be obedient to the calling to love. And love means comforting someone and forgiving them because that's how God loves us. Now, what does that look like? Well, that's why we need a community together to help us figure that out. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's why we need grace and gentleness and tenderness and courage with each other. Because it's hard. And then you go, well, what if the person's dead? The people who've wounded me most deeply in my life are all dead now. What does it look like to forgive my dad and my brother? I can never be restored to the relationship with them. It's hard, isn't it? As I've thought about this, this is the, the primary focus as Paul writes this letter. He's writing to the people who've been wrong, to the Corinthians. We don't know what conversation he's had to the guy who's done wrong. Because this teaching about love and forgiveness is something that you and I do at one level for ourselves first. I, as a follower of Jesus, I want to walk this path, like in my life, with my, with my dad and my brother and others over the... I want to walk it in the first instance because this is what makes me the kind of man that Jesus wants me to be. I don't want bitterness to take root in my heart. 
I don't want to be hard and bitter. And, and we know people who are like that, don't we? Who can never let go. There's an aphorism that C.S. Lewis should have said, and if not him, the Apostle Paul should have said. <laughs> it's not in the Bible, but it should be. Um, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, like if, so in the, at one level, this is the appeal to walk this path of love is an appeal to say, you pursue a vision for your life of being a woman or a man of love. And, and at one level, you forget the other person. You don't, I mean, at one level, you do it for the other person, but at another level, the fight is for your soul. The fight is for my soul. And what other people do with it, I, I can't control that. I can't control what anyone will do with my <laughs> I mean, forgiveness and comfort and love. Actually, I suspect that there are a few people who don't really want to receive my forgiveness and comfort and love. And, and you may have people like that as well. They're not ready. Even the thought that you might have to forgive them, they'd be like, no, 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 no. You're the, you, know, you know when you're in a broken relationship and you both think the other person is the one who did everything wrong and, and, then, and maybe you're still stuck there. But, so you can't control what anyone will do. The Corinthians couldn't control what this guy would do. The woman in the Australian, as she writes the story, she can't control what her husband will do. But you've got to fight for your own soul. You've got to fight for your own heart. Paul says this, look at it, um, anyone you forgive, I've also, I also forgive, and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Um, we forgive for Jesus' sake, because he's forgiven us. And it cost him his life. Like, it's not easy. But, yeah, if we want to live like Jesus, you're going to have to lay down your life. For those who hate you and do you wrong, like that's the way, that's the deal. It's crazy. Like who'd do it? Except Jesus did it for me. If he can forgive me, who am I not to forgive those who've done evil to me? If he can comfort me, who am I not to comfort those who are broken by their sin, come back to me in repentance, seeking restitution and reconciliation? Who am I not to hold out to them the comfort of forgiveness and the love of Jesus? And who am I to withhold love from people if God has loved me? And, and, and here's, a, here's one final thing that makes it hard and important, is it's a spiritual battle. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us. When we hold on to bitterness, when we do not forgive, when we do not walk the way of Jesus, that tears apart relationships. And Satan's big goal in life is to destroy and divide and mess up God's plan for humanity. So uh, the way I think about it is, um, as human beings, we're really good at lighting little fires, broken, broken relationships, a bit of gossip here, a bit of gossip there, a bit of misunderstanding there, a bit of alcoholism here, a bit of drug addiction here, a bit of gambling addiction there, a bit of sexual abuse here and there, and that's all terrible and breaks relationships, and there's little fires there. And then what does Satan do? Well, he's like my dad who uh, was starting a, a barbecue many years ago. So in Africa, you don't barbecue with gas. That's, that's for first world wusses. You have real fires. 
And uh, my dad was a kind of impatient guy. So we've got a, I remember vividly, young guy, we're out in the bush and we've got some meat and uh, he's wanting to cook it. So you, you start a fire going, then you put like a wire grill on the top and you cook your meat. Um, and uh, the fire was struggling to get going. And so dad's a bit impatient. So he's got a little bit of kindling going. There's a little bit of flame. So dad goes, well, here's the answer. We were out at the mine that he ran. So he went and got a jerry can full of petrol. And he goes, Shoo! That's, that's what Satan does with our human conflicts. Satan is like a can of petrol. The technical phrase is accelerant. Added to the little sparks of human sin, and you get a conflagration that consumes marriages and families and generations and churches and communities and societies. That's what happens, and we need to be aware that that's what Satan wants to do. So we get on this escalating uh, path of conflict, and you go realize, unless one of you breaks that cycle by stepping into the way of love, in the way of Jesus, you are going to be caught up in a satanic conflagration of brokenness and pain and violence and spiraling retribution. Go visit the border of Ukraine and Russia. Go visit Yemen, go visit Syria, go to Northern Ireland during the Troubles, go to Zimbabwe, go to the townships outside Cape Town where I grew up, where my brother was murdered by gang, in gang violence. You'll see this. Go into any family where there's intimate partner violence, abuse. You'll see a satanic conflagration of brokenness and someone in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit has to break that cycle because Satan will do that, and he'll do that in our church if we're not aware of what's going on. He'll do that in your family. So the fight for our souls is real. Whew. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I pray for our for all of us here, that we will um, we'll know your love and forgiveness and comfort in our lives so that we will be able to, to begin to continue to, to love others in that same way. It's hard and it's complicated. It is not easy. We often don't even know where to begin. But, but show us, Lord. Show us how to begin. Show us how to move forward where some of us are perhaps in a place of excruciating pain right now because of this, because of the evil and the sin that others have done against us. Lord, Lord, just heal, just bring a bit of alleviation of that pain. Bring some healing. Bring some freedom. And then guide us in the way of love as we walk under the, the rule and the loving care of Jesus, our Savior our crucified God. Amen.